We're going to be looking again in 2 Corinthians, as I've been saying most of the summer. Um, We're hoping that you're reading through the New Testament in a year. Uh, If you are, one of the chapters you should have read this week, we're reading five a week, it would have been in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So we're going to be looking at a few verses in in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses that I think are a critical aspect of our walk as Christians, realizing that uh, we aren't just walking with the Lord through a peaceful garden. We are in warfare continually, spiritual warfare continually every day against the enemy. The title of my message this morning is simply, Your Weapons for Spiritual Warfare. Kind of give just a quick little background. <clears throat> Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. He had spent about 18 months in Corinth originally establishing this church. And after he had left, he received some negative reports of things that were going on in the church. There was some false teaching, some false doctrine going on in the church. There was a sin in the church that he was needing to address. There was a bunch of, uh, for lack of a better word, just goofiness and craziness going on in the services that were supposed to be glorifying God. And he wrote, if you read 1 Corinthians 1, and if you read it, you, you probably realized he was a little stern or a lot stern. He was going to protect the church. And he wrote quite a strong rebuke in many, many, many different areas of the church, church life, and in the lives of the people of the church. And then he is gone. He is gone from Corinth for about, um, about three years. And actually, he was on his way back on his third missionary journey, and he was going back to Corinth to visit Corinth again. And during that time frame, the relationship between him and the church was a little stressed. And when you don't hear things back, you're a little concerned about how was that letter received. Well, on his way back, he happened to run into Titus, a co-laborer in the Lord who was returning from Corinth. And he ran into him, and Titus gave him a great report. His sphere as an apostolic father of that church who loved the church, cared deeply about the church, was that they would have been rejecting his letter because there was a lot of false teachers coming in. And they were accusing Paul of all sorts of things that we'll look at in just a minute. And attacking his apostleship, his authority, basically calling him a phony and so many other things. And he got this report from Titus that they had received his letter well. And many things had changed in the church in Corinth because of that first letter. So Paul then wrote a second letter, the one we're looking at, called 2 Corinthians, he wrote a second letter and sent that on ahead of him to Corinth. So in this letter, you'll see it's really kind of different if you really look at the overall context of the letter. He jumps around. He's kind of like me in a sermon. (laughs) He jumps over here, then he jumps over here, then he jumps over here, and and sometimes he ties it all together. Uh, He's a little bit defensive. In some cases, he's a lot defensive, not so much of him personally, but of his apostleship. He is going to stand up strongly against those false teachers that are accusing him of being some sort of false apostle or not being an apostle of Jesus Christ at all. And also in 2 Corinthians, he gets really personal with himself. Paul kind of lays himself open in a lot of ways that we haven't seen and you don't see in a lot of his other letters to churches. He talks about his thorn in the flesh. He talks about his weaknesses. He talks about his persecution. He talked about his worries, even in insecurities, and how they would have responded to his first letter. 
So he's writing this letter to him, and when we get to first or Second Corinthians chapter ten, he has covered a number of areas in the first nine chapters. Uh, as I preached on last week, I shared about he he had talked about this shell that we live in, and being part of God's plan was for this shell not to last forever, that we don't need to fear death. Death is a doorway into eternity where we get to get rid of this shell and the real you and me, our spirit, is set free of this decaying shell. And we, he had talked about that, and then he had went on and he talked about giving and generosity, especially giving and generosity towards those in need, towards the poor, and also giving and generosity towards people like himself, even though he did not receive from the Corinthians, but giving and generosity towards advancing the kingdom, giving it to other ministries. So he had talked about these things. And then some people even think starting in chapter 10 really was like another letter. Although it's included in in 2 Corinthians and and considered by most theologians. But it's such a difference. He takes a change. And I want to just go ahead and begin by uh, um, reading in chapter 10, reminding us first. He's there. He's confronting those false teachers in this letter. He was accused of being... One of those people who, when we're in face-to-face, I'm real meek and mild. I'm almost timid and shy. But then when he gets away, he writes this bold letter, kind of like a dog that barks from a distance, and you walk up to the kennel, it just kind of cowers and shuts up. This is what they're accusing him of being, one of the things they're accusing him of being. They're making fun of him being of small stature. They're looking in the natural. You know, there's, there's one theologian, a historian, who wrote that Paul was, he had a crooked nose, Hope it wasn't as big as mine, but it was crooked. He was small as stature. He was unimpressive. By this time, he had been beaten and stoned so many times, it's amazing he could even walk. And his words were not very good. He wasn't real charismatic. He was getting accused of all of these things. But the things that really riled him up, he was being accused of being not an apostle of God. And that the work that he was accomplishing was being done all in the flesh. Somehow, this weird-looking little guy was doing these things, and people were being foolish enough to follow him. So he was, he was being accused of all of these things and more. And Paul responds by reminding them and declaring with all kinds of confidence that any authority he has has come from his calling by God as an apostle. And that anything that's been accomplished by his response and calling as an apostle, has been accomplished through the power of God. Had nothing to do with him. And he's declaring that strongly. And he talks about an authority that he has that's not demonstrated in words and smooth talk. You know, it's not like, boy, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to be this great orator and I'm going to dazzle you with my words and by the time you get done, you go, wow, we better follow this guy. He says, no, 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 that's not who I am and that's not what I've been doing. I have been demonstrating my authority, not in words, but in spiritual warfare. And in spiritual warfare with weapons that are given by God and weapons that are empowered by God. He says, this is the evidence of my authority, the authority that I have. Using these weapons effectively for the kingdom of God. So while Paul is addressing in context here uh, explicitly his, the attacks on his apostleship, attacks on his character, attacks on his, uh, everything that he's accomplished, the principles that he's addressing 
And the principles he's laying out about spiritual warfare apply to all spiritual warfare, and they apply to you and me as Christians. So I'm going to go ahead and read, starting in verse 1 of chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. So he is starting out by saying, in a very tactful way, I am meek, I am gentle, there is a humility. When I was absent, I wrote you a bold letter, and I am prepared to be bold again when I come, but I'm hoping I don't have to be. But I am prepared to be bold against those who are challenging my apostleship and the message of the gospel. But he's hoping he doesn't have to do that. And then he goes on and says, though, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He says, though we walk in the flesh, what Paul's saying there isn't, I don't live a fleshly life. He's saying, though we're humans, though we're just people, we're just men, we're just women, we're made of flesh and bone, though we do live in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. So he's connecting with them and he's connecting with us. Though we're all flesh and blood, that's not how we go into spiritual warfare. He is letting us know, I believe very clearly, that this Christian walk, like I said, isn't this pleasant walk with Jesus through a garden all the time, peaceful and serene? If you've been a Christian more than an hour, you know that's not the case. He's saying we're in warfare. It's a battle. It's a war. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Suffer hardships with me as a good soldier in Christ. We are drafted. The moment you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are entered into the army of God, whether you knew it or not. And we need to be aware of that because so many times people accept Christ and they think that this is a silver bullet. Now all my problems are going to disappear and we're going to just live forever in serene peace. And the reality is you've been saved for eternity and you've been equipped, you're given weapons, you're ready for warfare. The battles, the war's been won. All of those things. But a lot of times we don't know any of that. And if we do know it, we kind of just put it on the back shelf. And we don't realize that the moment we accept Christ, the warfare will usually intensify. When you belong to the devil, he'll leave you alone. When you belong to God, he's going to come at you because he hates God. And he wants to destroy your walk. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your faith. He is not a friendly enemy. And he is saying you have been called as a soldier. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You know, with this metaphor that Paul uses in many places in the Scripture about going into battle, warfare, one of the things about going into battle is the importance of establishing a beachhead. A beachhead. For us, our beachhead was established by Jesus Christ. 
What is a beachhead? Well, here's a definition if you want a, a, a definition out of a book. It says, a beachhead is a secure initial position that has been gained and be, can, use, can be used for further advancement. A beachhead. It's a position that has been gained. You and I have been established as children of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was our beachhead, is our beachhead. He established the beachhead. There is that position that we have in, as, as children of God that's secure. But we're not called to sit there and just defend the beachhead. We are now called to go forth and advance the kingdom and fight the spiritual warfare that we're going to encounter. Because we will encounter it. Nothing to fear as long as we know that we are, first of all, children of God. We have been given spiritual weapons, and they are empowered by God. The church cannot lose the battle if we realize and understand those things. Victory is guaranteed because of Christ. That's why the church needs to really embrace these realities, that it's warfare. There is a devil. There are demons. There is a culture that is evil because the prince of this earth is evil. Our culture, the world, has been resisting Christianity since the beginning. And it isn't going to stop. It's just going to intensify. And I think most of us could attest to that reality that the enemy is intensifying the attack. He is trying to gain more and more ground, control more and more people, even through governments. He's advancing, and we are to resist. And this beachhead is one that is secure. It's secure. And that's where we need to start, and we'll talk about this later, but the beaches is secure if you know who you are in Christ. If you know without a shadow of a doubt you are a child of God and you belong to him. In other words, if you know that you're truly saved and you don't just hope you are and just don't think you are. We'll return to that later. What are we fighting against? What is our warfare? What is a spiritual warfare against? Well, I'm going to give you at least three things and there's probably many more you could come up with. But the first thing is our own corrupt thoughts and desires that are yet these unsubdued things from that old fallen nature. I mean, it would be nice if it would all be wiped away the moment of salvation, but it's not. But the victory's been accomplished at the moment of salvation. But we still have these things that we need to war against, we need to fight against. You know, I loved, I'd love it if every time I prayed, Lord, will you take that bad thought from me and don't let it ever come back. And I'd love it if it worked. But we need to remember we have an authority in the name of Jesus. We need to take that authority, command that thought to be gone in the name of Jesus, renounce it, rebuke it, and do that over and over and over and over, however many times it takes, till we have a victory over that thought. Because the victory's been won. We're guaranteed we'll win if we do it. But the enemy's persistent. Are you? Am I? So the first thing that we're warring against is this old garbage that old nature and oh does the enemy like to use it and sadly he knows what gets to us he loves to push your buttons are you good at pushing your wife's button or your husband's button 
kids, are you good at knowing exactly where to push the buttons to get mom and dad riled up? The enemy is just like that. And he will continue to push the same button over and over and over and over and over and over again as long as it has the same result. That's why we need to take authority over that button, whatever it is, and renounce it and rebuke it and go on. So all of a sudden, that thought can come and you can go, that is really stupid. Not going to listen to that. And just go on with life. Here's a temptation to do this thing that our old nature probably even liked doing. And all of a sudden you go, I'm not, that, that was me. That's dead. This is the new me. I'm not going there again. It's a warfare that we have to fight all the time. The second area is simply the powers of darkness. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, first it tells us to put on the armor of God, and we'll look at what that is in a moment. But it says, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The devil has got a plan. He's setting traps for every one of us. He's got a plan. He's setting traps. There's schemes. There's snares. They're called snares in Scripture also. It says, there are, and we need to be aware and stand firm against these. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's our enemy. That's our enemy. What are you going to use in the flesh and the natural to fight that enemy? You'll lose. But we have spiritual weapons given to us and empowered by God to fight all those enemies and win. We do not have to be victims of demonic attack from spirits of darkness. But first of all, we need to be aware that we're out there. And lots of times in churches, the church I grew up in, we never talked about that. We wouldn't have known they existed. We went to movies about things like that and thought it was fiction. It's real. They are out there. The first thing we need to do as a church is realize there's an enemy. If we walk around so naive thinking there isn't one, we're in big trouble. And that's, I believe, where a lot of the church is. Just ignorance because they've not been taught or they've not learned by reading the word for themselves that there's an enemy and he's real. We have to fight. And then to know, okay, there is one. Now I'm scared. We don't want to talk about the devil. We don't want to talk about demons because now it's scary. We're just going to put fear in our people. Well, if we stop there, yeah, maybe that will happen. But the devil is a defeated foe. His, the victory has been won. He does not have authority in the life of a child of God unless we give it to him. We don't want to give it to him. I don't want him to have place. That's why it's so important that we trust and listen to the Holy Spirit and live our lives in obedience so there's not sin. And and sadly, we all sin. But we need to be quick to repent, close that door, because the enemy is looking for a place to come. He is looking for a fear to attack us. And then he won't just be satisfied with a little bit. He'll come and take all that he can take. So the power of darkness, our own corrupt dreams, our thoughts and desires, and the third thing is sin in every form. Every form. Sin opens the door to the enemy. Our spiritual warfare is in the area of what we believe to be true. There are so many things in my life that I never knew were sin. I never knew it. I just thought of them that they were Mike things. Or they were Nelson things. Or because I'm mostly Scandinavian, they were Scandinavian things. 
But you know, there's so many things that I believe. You know, I, you've heard me say this before so many times, bear with me. You know, I believed I was never going to mount anything. I believed I was not going to be good enough. Everybody else was better than me. I believed I had to keep everybody at a safe distance because if they got too close, they'd see the real me and that'd make them throw up. I believe these things. Uh, nobody's fault but my own. Mom, where's mom? Nobody's fault. <laughs> Just me. But you know what? Every one of those beliefs, and I didn't know this, was sin. You know why? Because anything that I believe that is contrary to what the Word of God says is sin. And the Word of God says, I am a pearl of great place. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am a child of God created in His image. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am loved. I am the apple of His eye, according to Deuteronomy. So anything I believe contrary to any of that is sin. And sin is an open door. I didn't even know I should repent of those things because I didn't know they needed repenting of. Sin of all types. We always think of these horrible things that we label as horrible sin. There's so much stuff in our life that we need to really look and say, Holy Spirit, you live in me. Show me the sin in my life. Grant me repentance that I may come to the knowledge and have a revelation and escape from the snare of that sin. Man, when I'm struggling, when I, I struggle with that fear of, in, of, of rejection and insecurity, man, you can look at me wrong and I get, oh, jeez. And it just come again and again and again until I say, you know what? I'm a child of God. I don't care what you think. He loves me. You can call me what you want. He calls me his child. He says I'm his friend. He wants to spend eternity with me even if you don't like me and don't want to be with me. I'm okay with all that. I want you to. This insecurity is, you know, they're right there if I let them come. But I got a war against them. War against them. So those are three key areas. The weapons of our warfare. Obviously, worldly methods don't work. And by worldly methods, I don't mean, you know, a gun or a sword or a knife or a, a sharp tongue, sarcastic attitude. I don't mean those things. I'm talking about they're just not going to fix this. We've got to go to spiritual weapons. So I'm going to read the, in Ephesians 6, the armor. First, we put on the armor. And as you know this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, most of them are defensive armaments. It says there, put on the full armor of God. It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Truth, the Word of God, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness that we have, the righteousness of Christ. When I get that, the accusations of the enemy lose their power. I'm not some loser sinner. I have the righteousness of Christ. And I could go through them all like that, but I'm going to just read it. And having had your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will able, be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I love that. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our weapons are made powerful by God. You might think, well, Mike's got a bigger weapon than me. No, nope. They're made powerful by God. What are some of our weapons? 
Well, look at some of these things that are, I think it's up there. Keep going. Go to the next slide. Perfect. Some of our weapons, and you may not think of all these things as weapons, but I think if you meditate on it and look at it, you'll realize they are powerful spiritual weapons. The Word of God. It's the sword that we're given. Humility. Weapon. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. It's a weapon, walking in the humility of the Lord. Prayer. Love. Peace. How are they weapons? Because they will resist the attack of the enemy and their spiritual things given to us by God and empower us to be able to resist those attacks. The sinless life of Christ. You know what? Satan doesn't like it when you use Jesus against him. He knows you are talking about a sinless Savior. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a weapon because so often we are filled with unforgiveness and bitterness and the enemy uses it over and over and over. When we forgive those who have sinned against us, the enemy's power in that attack is gone. It's a weapon. The shed blood of Christ. If you've ever been in demonic warfare, you know how powerful the shed blood of Christ is. The shed blood of Christ defeated Satan once and for all, for all mankind, for those who receive Surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Now, I wasn't going to put that word in parentheses there because I knew it would kind of irritate you. It sounds so much sweeter when you say surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. What that means is just be obedient. Obedience is a weapon. When I am disobedient, the Bible says this, obedience brings what? Blessing. Disobedience brings cursing. Guess where the curses come from? If I'm obedient, surrender the Lordship of Christ, those doors are shut. The enemy cannot attack. He has no authority. He'll try to attack, but he has no authority. When you look at the weapons that we have, and they're empowered by God, and they will defeat the enemy, no matter what form he's attacking us. These are the things that will tear down those fortresses or those strongholds that Scripture continually talks about. They're empowered by God for the destruction of all these strongholds. In a stronghold or a fortress, uh, there's a lot of definitions, but what they're designed to do is to oppose truth and they're to keep us back from the victory that we have in Christ. And we have them. These fortresses, sadly, are often fortified. They're, They're being built up. We think we've finally shot a couple rounds into them and blown it to smithereens, and next thing we know, they're there again. What is it that builds up these fortresses? Well, those things in our life that we've been involved with or experiencing for a long, long, long time, they can have a real stronghold on our soulish nature. They They can have such a hold on us, we can't imagine living our life without them. As a matter of fact, they're, they've been there so long, these errors or these sins, that, that we, they become part of our belief system. We believe these things to be true. And as I said earlier, we need to realize as we're walking in the world, the whole world's being fortified by the enemy. So we are constantly, constantly under attack. And then in verse 5, it said, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
two aspects there. We are destroying all these speculations, all these reasonings, all these thoughts that invade our mind which are designed to oppose the truth and designed to keep us from embracing the victory. You know, unless you're not like me at all, you have these thoughts sometimes and they're maybe self-condemning. Maybe they're thoughts of shame, guilt. Maybe there's something that happened that starts to bring fear, just feel it crawling all over you. Whatever it is, the moment you feel those things, the moment you sense them, we need to remember we have a power to destroy those things. We need to come against it with those spiritual weapons, words, truth, authority that we have in Christ. These are the fortresses and strongholds that we need to tear down. And Satan will continue to try to build them up. But listen to this. His primary building block, I believe, is a lie. Lies. Mike, you're no good. Mike, you'll never amount to anything. Mike, you could never stand in front of a group of people. They'll all laugh at you. Well, that party was sort of right on. But most, most of it, they're lies. And he just puts the building block in, and we believe it. He puts another block in, and we believe it. We put another block, and we believe it. And before long, we are so paralyzed by lies. They're not real. They're not physical. You can't take a hammer, but you can take the authority. You can take the word of God. You can take all of these things that we have in Christ and just blow them to smithereens. I'm pretty much a simple guy. And if you've ever went through the steps to freedom of Christ with me, you've got so tired of hearing it. Most of the church is tired of hearing this. But I'm a child of God. That's enough most of the time right there. I don't care what lie you tell me. I am a child of God. I rebuke you, Satan. I'm a child of God. I rebuke that lying thought. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I'm not going to respond that way. I'm a child of God, and I'm going to submit. I'm going to love you anyway. I wish it worked every time. So do you. But that's what it is. They're lies. Lies of the enemy. And we need to always forget, and we never humility. humility. You know, it's never me. It's never my abilities. It's not the words I'm speaking. It's Christ who lives in me. It's the authority of Christ. He is our captain. He's our general in this warfare. All we have to do is utilize what he has given us, and we can tread on the enemy. We do not need to succumb to his attacks. It's in the name of Jesus that the battle was waged, and it's in the power of the name of Jesus that the battle was won. It's been accomplished. There's only one stronghold that the enemy can't touch, and that's Christ. Knowing who we are in Christ, living in that place of obedience to Christ, you know, if we, as, as we walk more and more, and this is where, you know, if you're losing every battle, just ha- take heart. Just stand on who you are in Christ, and you'll start to win. And you'll win more and more. And all of a sudden, you won't feel this continual attack. There will still be attacks. They're always going to be. But we get the victory over them so much easier. It's those things that I've been fighting for 35, 40, 50 years that are tough. Once I got the victory over that, the new stuff... You know, it's like swatting flies because of the authority and power that we have in Christ. As we fight as this good soldier, Paul writes at the end of his life, and I think it's something we could hopefully all say. He wrote this in Second Timothy in his letter to Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's what we all want, I think. When we stand before the judge, where we're going to get judged on what rewards we're going to be given. Not, I'm not talking about salvation or going to hell. I'm talking about rewards. We're all going to stand before the judge to receive our reward. And we want to stand in front of him knowing that we have fought the good fight. A couple questions in closing. Is there anything in your mind that's taking the place of God? The priorities. Is there anything that's keeping you from knowing God more fully? Sometimes we can answer busyness to a lot of these questions. Is there anything that's causing us or preventing us from following him more closely? Sin in our life that we won't deal with makes intimacy very difficult. Is there anything in our life that's preventing us from serving him more fully in the calling that he has on your life? If there is, you just need to destroy those things. Sometimes forgiveness, repentance is all that's needed. But whatever it is, the, the, the equipping is there. But as I said earlier, <clears throat> if you're trying to fight this spiritual battle and you're not a child of God, you're probably going to get beat up pretty badly. The only way we are guaranteed and assured of victory, the only way that we will have spiritual weapons that are empowered by God himself is to know that we are his children, that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Not that we went to church when we were little, not that we go to Sunday school, not that we read the Bible, not that we do good things for little old ladies across the street. None of, that's all nice, but none of them will save you. Have you made a personal decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner separated from God and that the only acceptable sacrifice in God's eyes had to be sinless, and there was none, so he sent Jesus, even as Pastor Bob prayed during communion. And that Jesus went to the cross, and he died in my place. He, he stood, and got nailed to a cross, endured the wrath of God that I deserved. And that he died and was raised from the dead. And that resurrection is proof. It is evidence. It's God the Father's stamp of approval saying, acceptable sacrifice. And then he turns to you and me and says, will you accept my substitution on your behalf? That's what it means to really be saved. And then we surrender control of our life to the Holy Spirit and Jesus. He's much better at living our life than we are alone. So I hope, as you leave here this morning, no one goes away wondering if they're saved. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, God, catch me, catch Pastor Bob, or pretty much anybody here. They know. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you, God, for the promises of your word, that you are faithful and true, that everything in your word, every promise in your word is for your children. And God, that as your children, we can walk in an authority because of being seated with Christ in heavenly places, that, that you have won the victory for us. 
God, that you have enrolled us in your army and you will not leave us defenseless. God, I pray that each one of us are, are quickened in our spirit to search our hearts, to allow you to search our hearts. If there be anything that's preventing us from walking in the total victory to living out the abundant life that you died for us to have. God, if there's anything in our lives that's preventing us from being the walking testimonies to being your hands and feet, that you would reveal those things to us and grant us repentance that we might be quite, that we might be quick to receive your forgiveness. I thank you, God, that all of our sins were nailed to that cross with Jesus. We don't need to live in guilt or shame or condemnation. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, today would be the day. And I also pray, Lord, as we go out, we go out as your soldiers, but we also go out as your ambassadors. And I pray, Lord, as we go forth even today, this week, that we walk in love, that we are protected by you and your Holy Spirit, that we are sensitive to all the opportunities you give us to share the good news of Jesus. Keep us safe. Lord, we pray that all that we do brings you glory and honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.